A wet November morning in Bray. There's a storm at sea. Two men enter a house that bears a literary plaque on its outside wall. This is one of the many homes of James Joyce. It is the one immortalised in the Christmas scene from Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. These two men have agreed to swap jobs. Today is the first half of the exchange. Yeah, we're all right. We're ready. Off the stairs. This morning, Bernard McGuinness, a 70-year-old chimney sweep, will watch over Gerard Casey, a philosopher, as he learns how to clean a chimney. Right. Now. Bernard is no ordinary chimney sweep. He considers himself a philosopher, but he is no ordinary thinker. He is the only self-taught philosopher in Ireland. And tell me what you want me to do out there. I can hear the wind billowing through it. Now, Gerald, I'll put the rod on the... Gerard Casey is also a philosopher, but again, no ordinary one. He is Professor Gerard Casey, sometime head of the School of Philosophy in University College Dublin, considered one of the foremost published thinkers in the country. So you go ahead now. So what do I do with that? Yeah, you you join that on like. Okay, the next one on is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, anyone? Yeah, anyone of them. They're flexible, aren't they? Yeah. They're all grand, yeah. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, what do you think of that when you're screwing that on? What do I think Get of it? Chills. Yeah, what do you think of What do you think that you're able to screw on? You screw on each one to the full, to, to the tight that they're yeah, not Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay, do I push up? Yeah, further? now push. That's good, man. Yeah. yeah. You have a natural talent for this. I'm yeah. wasting, wasting this philosopher. <laughs> man, I'm telling you. <laughs> My children are always wondering when I'm going to get a real job. I think this might be it. <laughs> right. Once again? Yeah. Once more with yeah, feeding. Yeah. Connor Moore. Push, yeah. Okay, there we go. Fantastic. Do you know when chimneys started? What year they started? I don't know. When chimneys became in, in, into... 1660, 1523? I don't know. They ran up to 12th century. As early as and, that? Uh, and the first chimneys were put in the House of Parliament. I'm going on with this. <laughs> Bernard is in top form here in his comfort zone. But three weeks later, it's his turn to job swap. The only time he has been inside the walls of a university has been to clean the chimneys. This evening, he must lecture to the UCD Philosophical Society. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you all to the last major event of the Philosophy Society uh, for the year 2009. Um, Tonight, Phil Sock, in association with RTE, proudly presents The Sweep and the Philosopher. Um, This will be a discussion between Mr. Bernard McGuinness at Chimney Sweep and UCD's Professor Gerard Casey. Tonight, they will debate the nature of philosophy, its method and use, and finally, the value and role of philosophy in today's world. Mr. Bernard McGuinness left school at 13 and has been a chimney sweep ever since. One day, though, he decided his life needed a change, and to help him through the crisis, he picked up a book on philosophy. He maintains that one decision has fundamentally changed his life. 
and he's one of the few philosophers to exist independently of university life in Ireland. Professor Jared Casey was the former head of school of philosophy. Uh, he received his BA in University College Cork, his MA, MA and PhD in Notre Dame. Uh, ba- he received his Bachelor of Law in the University of London and his Master's of Law in UCD. He's been adjunct professor at the Pontifical Institute in Washington, D.C., adjunct professor at Maryvale Institute in Birmingham, and adjunct scholar at Ludwig von Mises Institute in The page is up. Clean, uh, of cleaning the chimney, so <laughs> I'll leave it here. I, um, this is the first time I've ever been in a, looking at a class uh, in a university, and um, uh, it's not that I might have wanted to do it at some time myself, maybe, maybe later, but at the moment I, 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 uh, I find Socrates famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Bernard is the essence of a natural philosopher. His audience is spellbound by the story of his early life. What unfolds is not academic, just the philosophy of everyday living. My life didn't um, just start with books. When I was 12 years of age, I had an unusual job or profession. I was actually a taxidermist. Things were hard. I was the eldest of seven in, in my family. And my mother actually was a char lady, and she, was, she actually uh, got me the job through, through cleaning the taxidermist's office. So I kind of took to it like, uh, like duck to water. It was very strange. Like, I was, when I'd get out of school, I'd be getting at four o'clock. I had to get onto a bus and go into Dame Street in Dublin. And maybe there would be three or four foxes or two or three otters for me to skin. Now, I was only, at this time, 12, 12 and a half. And on Saturdays, I went there all day. I I was very um, interested then in animals and birds and... Uh, it, it, there was a, a kind of a, a freedom in it that my mind was kind of in the wilds, especially when I'd be skinning these animals and maybe uh, bisecting them even. I, I'd be thinking of the otter, maybe that would be breaking his bone and cracking it and thinking of him underwater. Not a pity, but saying, isn't it terrible that this, this poor animal was shot or killed and here I am skinning it and for money. I, I, I used to eventually bring home some work to the house and like pheasants and owls and uh, have, mount them there. And the, the, it, it was very, uh, very educational as well. Because I wasn't just the ordinary young lad who was going around uh, looking at videos and in a, a, I was in the practical world. I had to do this job right. The strange thing, I, I only lasted till I was 16 at it. But I have some stuff in the museum, in the natural museum. I was kind of a little bit 
different than other um, children at that age. Even though I played football and mixed with them, uh, there was something else about me. And uh, like my mother couldn't afford to send me to um, secondary school or anything like that. She was waiting for the next few shillings to come in the door. But then when you come 16, you, you, mind changes, you, you have different aspects and you look at other people. You don't, if we all stayed in the one way, nothing had ever happened. And maybe it was a, a bit of a disaster. I, I left the taxidermist to become uh, a chimney sweep. As I went over to, to doing chimneys, um, I was going from different houses to different types of people. I was in De Valera's house, in his bedroom. There was plenty of, um, for a young fella, plenty of variety in it. And a lot of people said, oh, you're a chimney sweep, sure. You know, can you not get up on the next? You know, it was kind of a look down, people look down upon you, which was very ignorant altogether because at the end of the day, everybody is contributing in some way to society, whether you're a road sweeper or a, a doctor or lawyer, all each, each, each of us have our own contribution. The main thing is that we do it right and we don't be false about it. And this is where probably I see uh, uh, philosophy at its best, where we get the truth. Earlier when sweeping the chimney, a competitive edginess forms between the two heavyweight thinkers. A pattern of philosophical one-upmanship becomes greater than the task in hand. Well, but um, otherwise we were, were ready to get into action, right, Gerald. That's yeah. rock and roll. So, yeah. so is he dressed for the do this job? Well, he's, he's fairly well uh, kitted out, and he has the right colours on the dark jumper and yeah. the, the trousers. That's right. So, and, I'm uh, sure the suit. I'm just saying. Uh, what would, what would Plato or Socrates say about this? I don't know, but uh, well, Socrates, Socrates was still missing. Yeah, that's true. He was. Correct, he yeah. He wasn't a very good one. No, and no. And, and according to his and wife... And an And according to his wife, he spent too much time talking. <laughs> and another yeah, time yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and he used to get out from his wife because it, she scolded him. Well, when I, when I was younger, my sympathies with him, now I'm older, my sympathies are with his wife. Yeah, I, that's I think Mrs. Socrates actually had it yeah, right. Yeah, that's true, yeah. He should have done more work in this chat. Well, they call him what? That, uh, the prophet of logic... And the herald of sound reasoning. Is that what he was? That's what he was. <laughs> here's, the, here's the chimney sweep telling the philosopher. Right. Where did you get that? From my reading. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. But no, who called him yeah. that? Was that somebody? Uh, Max Eastman, the great writer. You know him? Oh, he, he's, a, he's a great uh, uh, writer. He, he wrote on Plato as well. And, and Confucius. Okay. Uh, uh, Voltaire. The, the great French uh, yep. uh, philosopher. His real name was what, by the way? Sorry? What was Voltaire's real name? I'm checking uh, it. Arret. Arret. Arroway. Arroway, yeah. 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 Good one. Close enough. Yeah. Okay. Eight out of ten. Jean-François <laughs> 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 Marie Arroway. François Marie Arroway, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's to get uh, you back for a trip. Yeah, he actually lived in, uh, he went, he retired in uh, Geneva. 
at that time Geneva was a, a little principality of That's its right. own yeah. and he, he, he stayed about f- uh, <coughs> uh, uh, the French side of it and uh, he, he eventually there. Bernard and Gerard um, get really down and dirty now this is an upstairs so it's shorter all right, because you yeah, we were up. downstairs, it'd be much more difficult. Whoa, straight out of things, I got. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah, you're going well there. Do you feel on the shoulders, or No, 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 not yet. I will tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and now we're right. okay. You said twist, right? Okay. Twist it. What's going on? Okay. Whoa. Woohoo. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Jill might see it out the top now, the brush she's gone down to see. Okay, we keep on going here. Yeah, it's right here. That's it. I'm a natural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're becoming a natural chimney sweep. You better give up that old philosophy. <laughs> I was giving up the rubbish philosophy. Yeah, do some do a real job. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Whoa. Chimney skulls, these are the hardest chimneys uh, around. Uh, really? Around uh, Why is that? Is they're, that the they're very twisty, these chimneys. Okay. The bottom ones are uh, hard. Yeah. Okay, now, Burge, you might want to take it on for a second here because yeah, this is where the. I don't know if I'm. What's your head, Jared? Yeah, I know, I got it. Yeah. Got it. That's great. Try that and see how it's done. This is where the. The strand comes in all right. Yeah. How are we now? Bernard and Professor Casey have a lot more in common than you might imagine. Both have working class backgrounds and both developed early intellectual curiosity. I grew up in inner city Cork uh, in an area which, if it wasn't a slum, was very close to it. So um, with all the virtues and vices attached to that and so on, but it, there, was a, there was a kind of a solidarity there. And a, I would see in Bernard especially um, the kind of autodidactic tendencies, in other words, the tendencies to teach yourself and to learn, which I... Uh, uh, exemplified myself I mean I when I was very young I joined the library when I was about five I didn't tell my parents uh, I read I taught myself to read before anybody ever taught me to read um, I read widely in, in every area way beyond whatever I was required to do by school I hated doing the school work but I loved reading and so on and so Bernard is like that Bernard is an autodidact he's self-taught uh, he is attracted by the life of the mind uh, by ideas um, and he's a genuine lover of wisdom, which is the original meaning, of course, of philosopher. So, on all, you know, on all he ticks all the boxes, and and uh, so I feel, I really do kind of feel a sense of solidarity with him, 
in that way. I don't mind getting my hands dirty. I don't mean just in the thing that we did. But my father was a hands-on man. All my family are kind of engineers and mechanics and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I've done carpentry myself. Uh, I've worked in other jobs in many areas, you know, menial jobs of various kinds and so on. None of the, you know, and, and, uh, and so I have an appreciation for that, for people who work with their hands. I appreciate skilled people in whatever area they do, uh, they, they work. And, uh, and that's what Bernard is. But he also, it just shows you, you're not, you, you're not confined, you know, to just the daily grind. I mean, yes, there are things you have to do, work that has to be done. But the human mind isn't confined to any one particular person or to one class or, or to anybody. And that's great. And uh, it, it will out. And it will, tru- you know, pe- people do seek the truth. And Bernard is, an ex- is, a, is a truth seeker. There are people who suspect that I like a fight, and they're probably right, I do. Um, I generally don't tend to seek them out. I got a bit of advice from my father a long time ago, uh, which I thought was actually excellent advice, which was, don't go looking for a fight, because you'll find one. If you can walk away from a fight with honour, do so. But if you've not gone looking for it, and you can't avoid it, make sure you win. <laughs> I saw yourself in Bernard last <clears throat> Friday, and... Um, and within ten minutes, the two of you were like two heavyweights that are, that are jabbing to see where the weakness is in the other. Yeah, that's that's true. And um, there's nothing. By the way, this is what we do. This is what philosophers and thinkers do. I mean, this is how you respect the person you're talking to. This is how you respect your interlocutor. If you really think somebody is a complete idiot, and what they're saying is really stupid, you're polite and disengaged. When you think somebody's interesting, right, you you say, hang on a second, how about this? And you offer them an objection, and then they come back, and then and then you engage in this dialectic. That's how philosophy works. That's what we do. And that's a sign of respect. Um, <clears throat> but so it's competitive, yes, but it's not competitive. Distra- it's competitive recognizing, if you like, the worth of your opponent. So it's like two boxers in the ring where you, res- you respect the guy, and you know you, you think he's got a good left jab, so you want to stay out of the way of it. And, Okay, keep your guard up. So yeah, that's what we do as philosophers. And uh, and I so I see. Yeah, I mean, again, that's one of the ways in which I, re- I recognize the autodidact uh, in me in Bernard. I see somebody, if you like, coming from the same background as I did. So I have this terrific fellow feeling for him. Uh, and doesn't mean that I'm not going to give him a good fight because I'm going to give him an argument because hey, that's what philosophers do. This, no, this, this, this may not be pretty. Yeah, yeah, no, no. This no. could be, this could be, this could be pretty bad. Well, where, what do you li- where do you leave the great other great philosopher, the the more modern one? Well, Which one? In, in terms, um, Benjamin Franklin. You think he's a great philosopher? Oh, one of the great. Yeah. Oh, I sure. Think all, all I think he's an appalling character. Well, he he had so many urns in the fire. He was also a great. Um, He's, he's, he actually, he was ambassador to France for 25 uh, years. Uh, he, he was a part of the Constitution. He was uh, yeah, he, yeah. In the making of the yeah. Constitution, the American Constitution. So he um, he was also uh, he also wrote an almanac. Yeah, that's right. And it was called um, what was it called? Uh, do 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 old Moors. No, 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 okay. no, that's no, the only no, one I know. You're too modern. You're too modern. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It was called. Um, but it had some. Pure, uh, Poor Richard. Richard, that's it. Yeah. Okay, got it. Uh, Saunders. 
Yeah. Poor Richard Saunders. Yeah. And it was in every American home because it, it predicted the weather. Uh, it also, um, it, there was other uh, philosophy um, sayings in it as yeah, well. I know, the Lefferism. And yeah. one of his great sayings was, um, uh, well, he had many, but uh, experience is a dear school. Continue. Yet, oh, are you somebody else's? Not, <laughs> yet, fool, yet fools will learn in no other. <laughs> uh, I think it's a great piece of uh, yeah. prose, you know. But uh, yeah, he's also attributed um, early to bed and early to rise. Another one that our government should uh, take into uh, consideration, he who goes a borrowing... Goes a sorrowing. Sorry, yeah, no, right, but that's very appropriate, don't you think? <laughs> very appropriate. Anyway, my hero among that gang is Jefferson. It's not. It's oh, not Jefferson, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jefferson is fine. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and of course he was um, crippled. Like he was, um, he was in a wheelchair. No, Roosevelt was oh, in yeah, a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Jefferson could have been in Jeff, one as yeah, well. I don't yeah. know. But yeah, Roosevelt. Definitely not yeah. Roosevelt. Was. was yeah. Let's go do some work. Yeah, back to. Mundane things. Yeah, right. Like the chimneys. <laughs> the chimney that Bernard and Professor Casey have just cleaned is no ordinary one. The young James Joyce warmed himself before its fire. Today, Liz McManus, TD, owns this house. This is, this is a wonderful room, and it has huge history to it in Joyce internals. Yes. Yeah. It's gorgeous room, yeah. Well, it's um, it goes back to when the Joyce family lived here. They lived here for a number of years when James Joyce was a small boy. And it was his first Christmas when he was able to sit with the adults. Up till then, the children all stayed in the nursery for their Christmas dinner. Uh, so uh, Joyce describes the room and describes the father and his friend Mr Casey <laughs> coming in from a walk around Brayhead and warming themselves at the fire and the Christmas dinner is presented and the steaming turkey and uh, it, it's a wonderful kind of warm description a great fire banked high and red flamed in the grate and under the ivy-twined branches of the chandelier, the Christmas table was spread. They'd come home a little late, and still dinner was not ready. But it would be ready in a jiffy, his mother had said. They were waiting for the door to open and for the servants to come in, holding the big dishes covered with the heavy metal covers. All were waiting. Uncle Charles, who sat far away in the shadow of the window, Dante and Mr Casey, who sat in the easy chairs at either side of the hearth. Stephen, seated on a chair between them, his feet resting on the toasted boss. Mr Dedalus looked at himself in the pier glass above the mantelpiece, waxed out his moustache ends, and then parting his coattails, stood with his back to the glowing fire. And still from time to time he withdrew a hand from his coattail, to wax out one of his moustaches. It's still relevant today. So it's... Um, oh, it's amazing, too. Joyce was a great um, tanner himself. 
Yeah. And he got on the uh, platform with, with McCormack, McCormack yeah. in 1904 in, uh, 1904 in Ancient Concert Rooms. Yeah, Sound and Pierce Street. Yes. Yeah. And he actually uh, had big intentions to beat McCormack. Yeah. And like McCormack had, had a certain reputation then as well. And uh, he, he, he was, it wasn't just a... a, a, a uh, just filling in a, a, a place or anything like that. He, he really thought he could beat McCormack. And though when he was be- he was beaten, actually not through his singing, it was through his sight reading. He had poor eyesight <laughs> and he, he couldn't see the notes. And that was a part of the actual um, of the competition. The competition. Mm. So he, um, he he followed McCormack's. Uh, uh, um, his. Uh, life uh, right through and all he's singing right through all the different mm. parts of the world mm. and uh, he was very interested in McCormick uh, from that time he was a big fan all but, his life but a big yeah. fan of him this yeah. was a great musical house they still had a, a bit of money when they lived here and these two great parties and the father was a good singer as well as Joyce yeah, yeah. so they love music I yeah, mean I think yeah, he's a big yeah, part yeah. of their lives I think it was for a lot of middle class families in Ireland then you know, Victorian ballads yeah, and songs and yeah. opera, even. Yeah, but you're sure. a singer yourself, are you? Yeah, I'm a singer myself. Yeah, I, I, I. Will you give us a song? Are you gonna? Are you gonna oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you gonna give us? Um, <clears throat> I'll do, um, one of the one of the old um, uh, songs, Irish songs. All right, um, which one? Uh, I'll leave this one down. I'm not going to hold that one. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw it out. I'll throw it out. I'll throw it Maybe I just had one little sup of water. Oh, you can hear Yeah, please. Yeah. Oh, what do you want yeah. to sing, Brian? Um, I have several, of course. While Liz fetches the water, <clears throat> Bernard lays down his chimney brush. I'll just put this out of the way. I know. You when the piano sounds, we all turn in surprise to see Professor Casey seated at the keys. Love of music moves all philosophical differences to one side, at least for the duration of a song. Tom Moore. Yep. Okay. I know this is going to play here. Back me up then. Well, I will. If I I know it, we'll back you up. Okay. Is that key alright? I'm like the judge, I'm I'm poor on my side. I was playing it indeed and so on. Anyway, you hit a key and I'll follow you. It's the last rose of summer left blooming all alone. All her love companions are fed. And gone. 
With his part of the job swap over, Professor Casey is happy to get his hands clean before returning to the day job. Okay, getting most of the dirt off. Uh, doesn't like it. Oh man, how's one? <laughs> the time has come for Bernard to fulfil his part of the job swap. On a late November evening, he stands in a crowded lecture hall in University College Dublin. A 70-year-old man in overalls, straight from work and still carrying his brushes. The base is of of cleaning the chimney, so (laughs) I'll leave it here. um, This is the first time I've ever been in looking at a class uh, in a university and... um, uh, it's not that I might have wanted to do it at some time myself. Maybe, maybe later. But at the moment, I, I, I'm, uh, I find it very hard to get time. But um, any time I have, I try to utilise in the best way I can. If I'm not working, I'm 
reading something, history or um, philosophy uh, from, from books that I've got, even from friends. And I've had a, been lucky to have good friends who, who are interested in uh, good literature. So um, it's um, basically um, I found a, uh, in little bits of trouble I'd have, I'd uh, take down maybe uh, the book of uh, um, maybe Plato, Socrates, uh, Marcus Aurelius. I found Marcus Aurelius very um, comforting and uh, very uh, a, a, a comfort to me in, in different ways when I, I'd be um, very worried and uh, he, 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 um, For about the next 40 minutes, Bernard valiantly struggles in an unfamiliar the, environment. The, the, the Unknown to himself, his words, though lacking academic tone, own, strike a chord with his audience. Um, this becomes clear during the question and answer session that follows. What would you consider then would be philosophy's place in the world and the philosopher's place in the world? Then? I put it very high. It brings you to a higher plane. As a matter of fact, it brings you from the dark into the light. I was always afraid of philosophy, even the whole concept of it, but I think if I got about five minutes on tape from Mr McGuinness in the morning, it would set me up for the day. But the question I would have is that uh, if I look into a chimney, I see blackness. And uh, if I go outside when the brush goes through, I see brightness and a beautiful blue sky and the sunshine and beauty all around me and I wonder if uh, I'm going to experience either of these two things when I pass on could you help me? Yeah, I was wondering when you decided to um, learn philosophy was it like an instant decision you had? So my question is um, just the fact that how philosophy today has gone kind of academic Would you consider that life is a collection of pursuits and experiences and just what we see and what we do or is it something that has a purpose and a culmination thank you very much thank you for, thank you for listening <laughs> okay now we'll uh, open up to discussion between uh, Professor Casey and Mr McGuinness uh, I thought that was a, a great speech from a man who's come quite a long way but uh, I'll hand it over now sir. so can I just say a few words here first of all um, all philosophers are self-taught, even if you go to an institution. Philosophy is not something you can really be taught. It's something you sort of catch. It's like a sort of disease, uh, a nice disease, in other words. But, but most of us recognize that we're in the grip of a sort of frenzy when we get it. And, uh, and so the rest of your life is tension. The Sweep and the Philosopher sounds like the title of one of Aesop's fables, and like a fable, the participants exchanged more than their jobs. It became a journey of discovery filled with argument, laughter and song. For Professor Casey, the job swap allowed him to step into the world of natural philosophy. For Bernard McGuinness, it became the realisation of an unimagined dream. Beyond all dreams... If someone told me this a few months or weeks ago, I'd uh, 
be absolutely terrified, as a matter of fact, thinking of it. I, I, I'd hardly get a night's sleep. I, I'd be uh, wondering what way will I start and what, what will I say. The good thing is that you met me at the door and you said, it's up to you, we didn't do any planning. We just went straight in. Within a few minutes I was left with the microphone in front of me and uh, here was all this audience waiting for me to, to, to start off and I had to start off at, at my younger time and I told them out straight like that. I didn't come from a background of uh, academia and this was my uh, first time actually uh, addressing an audience of probably most of them were graduates or I was humbled in, in a way to, that, and appreciative that people were, uh, wanted to listen to me. And, and then, especially when the questions came down to me and, and we, we, we conversated on different questions that they asked me about philosophy, it really filled up my confidence. And I, I said, um, this is wonderful, you know. And I felt really, uh, what did I say... I felt uh, great joy in it. My mother uh, and, uh, and my father, yes, they, they would have been uh, very... Uh, they actually wouldn't believe that, uh, that I, I would uh, maybe have the goal even to do this. And uh, I thought the other night, if they see me now, they, they'd certainly have a... Uh, they'd be very proud... Yeah, especially my mother would be, yeah. She'd feel that she'd achieved something great in her life.